Joe Schumacher, how the hell are you, you son of a bitch? Arnold, I'm so glad you agreed to take this meeting. How's Maria? Why, what have you heard? <laughs> I haven't heard anything. Ah, uh, sure. She's fantastic. Oh, that's lovely. Aren't you going to ask about my housekeeper? Um, sure. Does she do windows? <laughs> Not unless my name is Windows. <laughs> Human laugh. <laughs> anyway, Arnold, I wanted to talk to you about playing one of the big baddies in Batman and Robin. This is fantastic. Yes, wait till they get a load of me. Shut your face, you son of a bitch. Can't you see me smiling at you? You can call me the Joker now, you son of a bitch. Right, right. I mean, I, you wouldn't be doing the Joker, though. Not unless my housekeeper's name is Joker. <laughs> Human laugh. Well, take a look at the script. There aren't a lot of lines there for him yet, but I thought it would be fun if you played the big brawny muscle man. It's the freeze. Oh, well, no, actually. What are you talking about? Hey, there's all sorts of lines for him here. Right. He never stops talking. No, no, we're talking to Anthony Hopkins about that right now. Talk about a son of a bitch who never stops talking. Oh, would you like tea, Emma Thompson? I'm crying so much because I'm Nixon. Shut the fuck up. Yes, exactly. See, I see you more as the strong, silent type. In fact, in this, you really only need to say your name over and over again. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger. But saying that three times will release terrible Austrian spirits into our world. Oops. No, no, Arnold. Bane. Mm, that's a good question. How much are you paying me? Look at all these Mr. Freezing lines. You're going to have to pay me at least $25 million for this. No, you're not Mr. Freeze. Not if I have to say this shit, I'm not. Cryogenic. Nitrogen. Bunsen burner. There's too many science words. He's a scientist. Nobody wants to see me play a scientist. Exactly. Why don't they just say things like, chill out, cool it. I see what you did there, housekeeper. Now why don't you give me a snow job? Because that's not in the script. You're Bane. No, you're Bane. What? Bane me $25 million to rewrite all of these. <laughs> <laughs> Bane need $25 million to rewrite all of these lines and be Mr. Freeze. Oh, this is fantastic. I got to go, but I can't wait to kill Batman or whatever it says on the last page. Goodbye now. <laughs> Human laugh. <sighs> well, at least Alicia Silverstone will save it. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 78 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisse. And this week we travel back to June 20th, 1997, and the 25th anniversary of both the notorious Joel Schumacher directed Batman and Robin, starring George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Uma Thurman, and yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that summer's sleeper hit, the Julia Roberts romantic comedy My Best Friend's Wedding, which also starred Cameron Diaz, Rupert Everett, and Dermot Mulroney. Rooney. But before we before we dive into the week's films, where were we all in the summer of 1997? Where were? Don't hand it off to me, Dan. You always hand it off I'm, to me. I'm handing it because I don't know where I was. I need time to think. 
So let's take some time. All right. Let's everyone, listeners, we're going to pause for a second. All right. Everyone. Pause. Okay, see if you remember this from the summer of 1997. The biggest <laughs> song of the summer. You remember? The biggest hit song of the summer? Oh, yeah. Hanson, baby. Oh, they were great. That was an infectious. Why Why was that song so infectious? Was it because, because it was infectious? It just was. It just it was is. infectious. And then people I hate themselves it. for loving something. But, That's and then the they, thing. Then they shit all over it. But it's like, you know, obviously, <laughs> they found a tune that stuck with you. <laughs> Still to this day, it stuck with me. This show comes on the air for the first time, summer of 97. A little show called South Park. Still on the air oh, today. Right. <gasps> I remember being in grad school and all of us became obsessed with South Park and we would do it in class and and in rehearsal and be, you guys, hey, you guys. And we would do this Cartman voice and our professors would be like, what are you guys doing? Stop it. Stop doing that. And we would, and it was like this obsession and chef and all of that was like, because that was really a big turn. I mean, Simpsons, you know, uh, had been on for what, maybe eight years seven, by that yeah. point, seven, yeah. eight mm-hmm. years by that seven point. Years. And animation needed to take sort of another turn and it did. And that was, and I remember just all of us being totally obsessed with that. Um, you know, I always remember shortly before this, cause I remember exactly when they first released like their ad campaign oh, because yeah. the year before, so South Park got big because they were sending out, they made that short, you know, the, the Jesus the versus Christmas. Santa thing, right? Yeah. And wasn't George Clooney involved somehow? He, well, he was one of the people who found it. And so ah. they sent it to all these, they would, they would send it as like a, as a, um, a calling card to try to get work. <laughs> and yeah. they sent it to all these ad agencies. And so Mike Polofsky, who I was living with at the time, I'll never forget. He was working in an ad agency and he called me up one day and he's like, Hey, are you going to be around later? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, why? I said, why? He's like, cause I, I got to show you something. We got something in the office. I have to show it to you. Oh my God. And I was like, what? He's like, I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. I'll just, so we got home and he had it on VHS tape that, wow. and we watched it and we had never seen anything like it. God damn it. You stepped on my foot. You pig fucker. Dude, don't say pig fucker in front of Jesus. Ah, fuck you. I right. saw it at my aunt's house the Christmas before the, the Christmas of 96. My aunt, my elderly, <laughs> great and is like, oh, watch this tape that and she's talking about one of her sons made. <laughs> she's like, and she said, like, he made it like that. Like she was like, oh, look at this funny thing. So it must have been like somehow somebody worked in the, you know, the tape was just being disseminated. It was like the first yes. viral video. But literally yeah, like that was the beginning of viral video, but it was actually like video. sent around the country. But yeah. the way it was presented to me was that a relative of mine had made this thing and you could believe it because it is janky very construction crude. paper animation yeah. like stop motion so you could yes. believe that anybody could make it you're not like it's not like walt disney or something so i watched it she shows it to me the santa versus jesus thing and she she's like isn't that funny and i'm like that's hysterical and i was like <laughs> I, I forget which of my cousins she claimed i said it was like i was like he made this and it was like yeah. so she's like yeah, yeah. other oh, big big thing of the summer of 97 we all know it. We all love it. The beginning of the first season of the Rosie O'Donnell show. <laughs> With the Koosh right. balls. <laughs> the Koosh balls. Oh, and God. the 
And uh, what what else did she do besides koosh balls? Anything? So it's a free country. I'm a person. 1997, I was um, down on the, the Lower East Side. We were, I was getting ready to do Hamlet. Is that, is that, is this correct, that Jason? Is, yes. I got it correct. Okay, good. Oh. We've in past episodes, I've messed up the timeline for this. Yeah, because I was about to turn 25 and I had, uh, so I, I was getting ready to do a production of, of Hamlet that Jason was in and that I wanted you to be in as well, Dan. I, I don't remember do it. which role. You were away. I, I know. It. Yeah, I went away. I was, uh, just as you had spoken about this in another episode, Jason, fairly recently, I was somewhat obsessed mm-hmm. with Hamlet. I had Hamlet on the brain. And um, I was, I had read somewhere, I don't know who it was. It might have been Olivier. It might have been Kenneth Branagh. I think it was in, in Kenneth Branagh's book, Beginnings. Beginnings? Yeah. yeah, he wrote, or someone told him that like, if you have any interest in doing Shakespeare, you, you should try to play by hook or by crook, play Hamlet before you're 25 for the sole reason that you can completely fuck it up. You'll completely oh, it was, it screw was, it up. It was actually Jim Varney who said that. Jim Varney <laughs> said, you got to play Hamlet before you're 25. <laughs> he, was very, he was very earnest in his statements too. Well, which is why I ended up, my version was Hamlet goes to jail. Um, <laughs> which, which if you saw, that's what the critics said. Hamlet should go to jail. <laughs> Purgatory. <laughs> I did indeed <laughs> do exactly what I was supposed to do. And I did indeed fuck it up. Uh, but that was the whole thing. It said, if you, so I had that in my craw. I said, I want to play Hamlet before I'm 25. Uh, and then with the hope that then the, the idea behind that quote was you do it before you're 25, you completely fuck it up. And then hopefully when you get a little older, you get a second chance. I, I never did. So, <laughs> so, so that's it. But you um, did it, but you produced it you and you it. did it and yeah, you did, where, where did you do it? Did you do it downtown somewhere? I didn't know. We did it in Midtown. No, it was great. And when I, when I think about it, I do get very excited. But I mean, look, there's, there's so many mistakes were made and, you know, I'm sure I would do a, a billion things different, but mm-hmm. you know, I, it was something that I wanted to do. And just sort of the idea of like, let me just fuck it. Like, because, well, here's the thing. I always thought I'll never get to play a role like this. Right. And then oddly enough, crazily enough, about a year earlier or so, I got cast as Hamlet. No. Um, yeah. Where is that? <laughs> who, would, who would make, who would make who that would terrible do mistake? That? Who was drunk enough? Quentin Beaver no. in the trailer was like, come play Hamlet. I come play whatever. Come play Head of Gobbler. I was supposed to play Hamlet in a theater in Red Bank. Actually, the Red Bank Theater, which is now a concert hall. Uh, and whatever, long story short, I got a call from the director saying, so I want to cast you as Hamlet. And I'm like, mm. it was a dream come true. He said, the problem is the theater might go under. And it did. So he oh. said, if if we get the funding, you're my Hamlet. They didn't oh, get the funding. Wow. The whole theater went under. Oh, my so, God. So I think that gave me the, the, you know, the, the sort of impetus to say, well, let me see if I can pursue this. And this may never, this opportunity may never come again. So I might as well try to do it. And so around this time I was getting ready because we ended up doing it in the fall in September or October, I believe. And so it was all prep and the, the sort of the, the thing that got 
the the monkey wrench thrown in is that the term i always mm-hmm. i never get that term right i always want to say the monkey and the wrench that got thrown in which it's makes no out, sense it's the outbreak monkey whenever the outbreak monkey is thrown in <laughs> So I had someone who was supposed to direct it and that didn't happen. That didn't pan out. So it was uh, a matter of, well, how are we going to do this? We had the space. We had the theater space. Uh, everything was sort of set to go. We had done this reading and I was like slowly putting, you know, putting a cast together. And I, I remember uh, my friend Timmer, who ended up playing Laertes, yeah. uh, was like, just very offhandedly, he was like, listen, you, you direct it. I was like, I can't direct it. He's like, you direct it. He's like, you know what you want. Just direct it. Why not? And it was like, it was said like nothing. Like, what's the big deal? And I was like, well, fuck. Okay, I guess so. And it really seemed, and I was so, you know what it was? I was so, because I later spoke to friends of ours, like John G. and Petro and like people that we know who are directors. And I later was like, yeah, I was going to ask you. And he's like, I would have done it. Like there were so many people that, I could have asked that would have stepped up, but I was so scared that it was all going to fall apart. And I just, I was just like, I have to just like keep going full steam ahead. Like I have to just keep going. Cause otherwise it, it's, it could just fall apart. It could never happen. And that's it. And then, you know, this, this week and a half of the, of the time that I booked to play Hamlet at this theater could go away. So I was like, all right, well, fuck it. Um, we'll just do it. And so it was just getting, you know, and it ended up, all, all things considered, it ended up being, it was a successful production in the sense that we did it. It was sold out every night, you know, and it happened and I got to do it. Was it the greatest production? Was it the greatest Hamlet ever? Not yes. by, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to, my, to my mother, it was. To Sandy really? Berman, oh, to this that's day. That's nice. What did she say? Oh. That's the most important review of all. It actually, I, I, uh, funny enough, or not funny, funny enough, it, it was. I still have an email that she sent, oh. and she was not the most effusive with her. She was always very proud of me, and she would always, you know, say great stuff. But like this one, she wrote, she never actually wrote me a a, a note or a letter about something. And she wrote me about this, saying oh. how proud she was mm. and how impressed she was that, you know, so that I was, great. that all the work that I put in and that she was able to understand everything. I remember her saying, she's like, it was the most accessible Shakespeare I'd ever seen. So I was like, all right, there you go. So you accomplished that. I'm so proud of you that you (laughs) did that. Most people would say, this is a, this is a narcissistic masturbatory (laughs) exercise, which is what I did say at the time in my head, (laughs) but I'm not saying it now because I'm proud of you that you did it. And uh, I'm glad that you that you accomplished that. I'm glad your mother loved it. And Jason, did you have a good uh, experience working under Fred Hayo? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought we had a really Don't good lie show. To me. I thought, no, I really did. I had such a good time working on it. And exactly. what did the critics have to say about it beyond beyond Sandy? We had one critic. It was in the uh, one review is in the Uber. And oh, yes, the Uber. Uh, it uh, said it, the Uber was the off off Broadway review. Right. And Jason and I have discussed this and lived in this for a long time. Uh, <laughs> but for me, I, I don't want to speak about Jason. Um, uh, but my review, they, they, they said that certain aspects of it worked, they enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and they, but they said that at times my, my Hamlet was like Seinfeld on Dexedrine. <laughs> Which is, they uh, weren't wrong. It was uh, fast. It was a fast Hamlet. And what is dexedrine? <laughs> Speed. Is that like, 
Oh, it's on speed. <laughs> yeah, wow. speed. yeah, Seinfeld on Dexedrin. Yeah, <laughs> That's so uh, and and I'll let Jason take it away for his review. Oh, my review is great. I talk about this all the time. That's another thing I talk about in that Hamlet show that I wrote is is Catherine Miller coming up to me on the street on the Upper West Side and saying, "Oh, I read uh, I, how was Fred's Hamlet? How was the experience?" And I'm talking to her about, it and she's like, "She's like, oh, I read this great." review you got a great review and she's talking about the uber she's like you're like the the redemption of the production or something (laughs) and i was like oh my god and i was like oh but he didn't like anything else and i was like oh well you know uh so i go up to applause books on the upper west side and they have the uber there you know this flimsy just written on a napkin yeah exactly it's like you can see the guy stapling each copy it's just a bunch it's so it's so weird so i look it up and the in in the and i'm reading it you know i'm reading the review and i get to you know it's like says this that whatever and it says uh unfortunately jason o'connell as claudius is probably beyond redemption and i was like oh that's not that doesn't sound good i read it so quickly i was like that doesn't sound good so i go back i read it again because i'm like i must have i must have misinterpreted that it says unfortunately Jason O'Connell as Claudius is probably beyond redemption. That's the last, as he's battering everybody in the cast, I'm the last one he batters and he batters me in that fashion. And I was like, wow, this is like the worst review anybody can possibly get because it's not just saying you're bad. It's saying God would not forgive you (laughs) for your performance. So I was like, wow, that is, uh, that's a good I lesson. I thought you were brilliant and completely I redeemable. Brilliant. I thought you were brilliant. I was fast. <laughs> I got people, I got people in and out of that theater quickly. You did, but then the rest of us dragged it down being like fit with our feelings. <laughs> you were trying all. to move it along though. I was doing Texas Shakespeare at this time, my second summer Texas Shakespeare. So I did three shows there. I remember getting the call to come back and I was so excited because I had such a good time the first year I played Mercutio and all that. And, uh, I loved it so much. And then I got the invitation to come back and the offer, I remember the offer felt like soft to me, but I was like, well, he wants me to come back. That's good. You know, but I had these visions of, I remember I auditioned for bigger thing, parts or whatever. And, uh, but you know, mm. I did the summer. It was, it was great. But the funny thing was, and this is the first time I'd had this experience. And I still remember like how kind of b- the feeling you're so feel betrayed or like, Oh God, really? I'm somebody's second choice. I, one of the girls in the company, um, she was playing Eliza Doolittle in my fair lady and we're drinking one night, hanging out with people. And, uh, and she's like, Oh, you're so funny in the shows. I'm like, Oh, thing. And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm so glad so-and-so didn't do it. She says some guy that she was in grad school with had been offered my track and decided not to come. And she says this to me very plainly. And she's like, I'm so glad you're doing it instead. And I was like, you mean I'm only here because somebody said no? I thought I did so well the year before. And I think in reality, I think the truth is probably that Raymond was like, I like him. I'm going to, you know, I'll. I could probably use him in a couple different places. You know, I'll see how the chips fall. Maybe that's being generous, right? I was like so sure I was coming back. Uh, you know, maybe I would have been back no matter what. But 
it sounded to me, I was like, oh, I guess I was just like a filler. You know, I really, I had a little bit of a complex about it. Like I was staggering around the party with my drink. Like I shouldn't even be here. If another guy said, yeah, I'll do it. Now, meanwhile, that's the whole business. That's everything. That's, that's it. 90% that of your jobs you go, are God. somebody else isn't available. You know, somebody turned it down. Somebody passed. And, right. But you just never know that. And you're not supposed to know that. And it's gauche. <laughs> it's bad form to tell people like, oh, my boyfriend turn that down you know or whatever so but it was good on you though <laughs> i have always been a huge fan of yours a huge supporter i look the the moment i wake up and before i put on my makeup i say a little prayer for jason o'connell i'm combing my hair now when i'm wondering what dress to wear now i say a little prayer that someone will cast Jason O'Connell. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> as a first choice. As a first choice. That's not going to happen. So, uh, so, so we can, we can move on to my best friend's wedding. Oh, I was at both of your weddings. I enjoyed oh, my best friends. Oh, and we were all at each other's wedding. But there's also a movie called that. Michael and Julianne have been best friends for years. The one constant thing in my life is that he'll always be there. But they were never more than that. Call me, four in the morning, whatever, we gotta talk. Until he popped the question. I called because I met someone. To someone else. Well. We're getting married. He was in love with me every day for nine years. Me! <laughs> I can see why. Look, she has known him for what, like five seconds? I can't lose him, George. I'm a busy girl. I've got four days to break up a wedding and steal the bride's feather. Oh! <laughs> Childhood friends Julianne Potter, played by Julia Roberts, and Michael O'Neill, played by Dermot Mulroney, <laughs> once made a deal to marry each other if they were still single by age 28. Now, four days before her 28th birthday, Michael announces that he's marrying a rich, gorgeous 20-year-old named Kimberly, played by Cameron Diaz. Suddenly realizing that she's actually in love with her best friend, Julianne vows to stop the wedding at all costs. However, when she's appointed Kimberly's maid of honor, Julianne's underhanded mission becomes even more complicated. Also featuring a winning turn by Rupert Everett as Julianne's dashing friend slash voice of conscience, My Best Friend's Wedding was a huge summer hit, earning $21.7 million over its opening weekend on its way to a domestic box office of $127.1 million and a worldwide haul of two. $299.3 million. Fred and Dan, what did you boys think of my best friend's wedding? Why was this a worldwide hit? Why, who likes this? Why is this a big... I'll tell you why. why? Julia Roberts. Yeah, she's huge. It's Julia Roberts. She's the reason why this was such a hit and why it's... She's the only reason... Well, whatever, I'll let you go. But no, she's the reason why this works. But go ahead, Dan. It yeah. doesn't work. Nothing, nothing doesn't work. <laughs> This is a slog. This was such a slog for me. Oh my God. I really, re I mean, I was mad at you, Jason. I was like, come on. I know Batman Robin's going to be bad. So you got to give me something good. Oh, I remembered it being good. No, it's not good. It's not good. I remembered it being good. But as you'll hear, oh. uh, it's not, it didn't, it didn't play so great as we were watching it, it last okay, night. Okay, so you we agree. Like, oh, All right. Well, yeah. this thing, I, 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 it just, it, we've said this before. We said this about 27 dresses with high gold. We high said gold this about Navy. No, and I remember saying, this comparing this, uh, comparing that unfavorably to this and saying like, it's not like my best friend's wedding because I remembered it being strong. 
you know? What are the good rom-coms, people? What are they? What when are Harry the Met Sally. End Thank of story. You. <laughs> Thank you. What are the Nothing others? but trouble. Disorderly. No. <laughs> Devlin, Max Devlin. I have a ton of ideas to put on television about uh, people and their love for each other. What the fuck are you talking about? What does about? that got to do with anything? Fuck off. The good ones God. are as follows. When Harry met Sally, Annie Hall, Woody Allen's monster. <laughs> See, what's the third one? Pretty okay. woman. It's good. That might be the end of the list. Pretty <laughs> woman's about a prostitute. So things with, but it's a rom-com. There's no getting rid of it. It is a rom-com. It is a rom-com. But I mean, I think if we watch that, we'd be like, wow, problematic in retrospect. Yeah. Things with Cary Grant, things with Spencer Tracy. You go. You got to go back to get the real, you know. A rom-com has to be funny. This is not, no, it's not funny. funny. Right. It's cutesy. It's saccharine. It's... It's there's lovable people in it, I guess. There's not a there's not a bad performance in it. Nobody's like I'm not looking at anybody. I mean, Mul, Mul, mm. Delvin Muldowney Mul is not the guy. He's just not a Richard. Ge he's not the guy. You know, he's just. He's just he's, I mean, he's just dirty. He's so dumb. He's so like he's every so guy I ever see him in. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And then yeah. we, and then have the two most beautiful women in Hollywood. They're right. basically like fighting over fawning over. Over Delvis, Delvis, Delvis uh, Johnson, and I can't. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. And then you have two scenes that are just the, the worst. They're on the architecture tour in Chicago, and they ha you have the moment right there where it's like, and then all you have to say is "I love you," and they're staring lovingly, mm -hmm. so lovingly, obviously lovingly, incredibly, overwhelmingly lovingly into each other's eyes, and no one acknowledges the thing, and no one acknowledges the feelings, and no one says "I love you." Boo, boo, earns and boo, and then you have the ridiculous, nonsensical setup of the whole email thing. She yeah. does the email. Someone else sends it. And then Cameron Diaz, what would you do? Put yourself in Cameron Diaz's character's shoes. The thing you would do is have a four-second conversation with Philip Bosco, your father, and say, did you send this email? Philip Bosco would say, I don't know what you're talking about. End of discussion. The whole last third of the movie would not happen mm -hmm. because you would have a five second discussion with your father. That would be the first thing you would do. The first thing is call dad and go, what do you mean? Why did you send this email? And dad would go, I didn't send that. That's crazy. And then the plot would unravel. Be, be, but no one does anything logical in this thing and you can't buy it. I I know that the part with the way they all sing, say a little prayer is a classic. Yeah, but I know but it I sucked. Say boo. Uh, 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 yeah, I, say I, I thought boo it was I thought it worked it. better. I you know why? It's because I was conflating the two scenes. The scene that is great is Cameron Diaz, who is really kind of the loveliest character in this, right? Who can't sing, is deathly afraid of singing, doesn't like karaoke. Yeah, that fine. bitch Julia Roberts makes her go to a karaoke bar because she wants to humiliate her and turn right. off the front. And, and then she yeah. turns it because by sheer 
charm. She's like, she's amazing like, in that Cameron Diaz. She's that, so that, great. She's great in that scene. That's a tough scene. She's, she's a very difficult scene. She's terrible and she's doing it yeah. and she commits to it. She doesn't stop. Yeah. She doesn't get embarrassed. She doesn't 100%. run off and cry. Her strength in that moment and her love for him. And that's, mm-hmm. I guess, what's uh, threads throughout. Even the thing about the stupid email, Dan, which I totally agree with you. Oh my but God. The point, so be- the point being, I guess that it's like, even if he did send that, and even if I did feel that way, and even if I didn't want you to take that job and I wanted to be able to do this and blah, blah, blah. Even so, the fact is it all comes down to, does she love me? I love him. And that's, they're going to, it's going to transcend everything. I think it's bad. I think it's weak. I think it's poor, but I think that's the point is that even if this horrible thing that Julia Roberts manifested was the truth, and her father was trying to manipulate him and get him fired I from his job. It was, they would so. still find a way. I, I doesn't, it's not good. It doesn't work. But that's, I guess, what they're going for. I just don't know what to do with my time. I'm so lonesome for you. It's a crime. Go into a movie. Oh, This well. is the first movie that violates the Stanton Walsh rule. This is not a good movie. You got M. Emmett Walsh in there. And as Roger Ebert said, any movie with Harrison Stanton or M. Emmett Walsh can't be all bad. This is pretty much all bad. I, I don't know I, that this was one of those. Rupert Everett is great. And Cameron Diaz He's is great. Fine, but and Julia Roberts is great. To do. You set up a thing. I'm like, oh, I see where this is going. We're going to have a thing. The whole rest of the movie is going to be she's got to pretend to be with her gay best friend. And then the other two have to pretend to love each other. And then you have a jealousy thing. But that's about 15 minutes. And then that gets abandoned. He's like, see ya, goes back and we get more. It's a good concept. Conceptually, it makes sense. If this was like a 20 minute short film or a short one act play, the the, the main character is a despicable. She does despicable things. She is despicable. Yeah. You know, she does despicable things. And I actually love, spoiler alert, that they don't get together at the end. But what I don't love is that they don't ever have the conversation. They never have the conversation about like, when you kissed me, when you kissed me on the boat, it's what Rupert Everett says to her. Did he kiss you back? They needed to have had that conversation. No, I didn't kiss you. You didn't kiss me back. No, I didn't. You don't love me. I don't. I love her. Done. You know, I have that conversation. Have that conversation. The, I think it was obvious. The, 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 but the movie ends. I don't know if it's that obvious. The movie ends, and you kind of still think De, uh, Delbert <laughs> Mc, Mc, McCheese still loves her. <laughs> And, you know, and that he's going to be miserable with Cameron Diaz for the rest of his life. I I didn't get that because he because when when Cameron Diaz sees them, he he chases her and he leaves. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate and he chases her and he doesn't stay even for a second with Julia Roberts after she kisses him for this woman that supposedly he might have been madly in love with for nine years and probably you can't was, look but at someone like that on the architecture tour and not be in love. Oh, with he's terrible. He's as Kate said, Kate was watching him and she was like, he's a big fucking tease. And she was like, he's such a fucking tease to go. her. The whole there, movie. It's true. It and he, he does have to threat because, and he has to be that to Ugh. give her hope to make the movie work for us, the audience to be like, is he going to leave Cameron Diaz for her? You know? So he has kind of a shitty job in the movie. Um, and he does it shittily, but, um, <laughs> no, what? It, yeah, no, she, uh, Kate said something that was 
<laughs> she said, you don't, you don't have to manifest anything. It, your, your friend's a 28 year old and he's marrying a 20 year old who hasn't graduated. <laughs> school She's a junior yet. in She's, college. It will be over in a year. Kate. <laughs> she yeah. was like, yeah. just wait just it out. Be patient. Like, yeah. Just, there you go. Don't try to disrupt this. Just let it run its short lived course because it's not going to yeah. last more than two or three years. And then yeah. you can go and pick up the pieces. So, give it, and I give think it she's right year. about that. She's so fucking give it, young. Give it a year and, and, uh, Dillman Majizi will be back on. <laughs> Mrs. Be back Majizi. On son of Mrs. Majizi will be back on the market. <laughs> what did you think, Fred? You loved it. I did. No, I was, <laughs> I was, I was fairly disappointed by it. I didn't think it was as bad as, as you guys are making it out to be. But I don't I do think, think I'm, it's, a, I'm it, not it in Dan's comes, camp, but I, I, I was disappointed. I, too. Yeah, I don't think it's the worst movie ever. I don't think it's no. the worst rom-com movie. I think there are plenty of good rom-coms. I, I agree with you. I didn't find it particularly funny. You know, I applaud the efforts. I, 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 I just missed, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I didn't now see it when it came Uber out. should have said, we applaud the effort. That would have been fine for the Uber to have said. You know, when it came out, I had no interest because I was thinking about at this time, <laughs> Julia Roberts would sort of, she hadn't had a big, this was like the thing that I don't want to say it brought her back, but it sort of did because after Pretty Woman, mm -hmm. I was looking at her IMD before this, like she had done Michael Collins and Mary Riley and like nothing really. She was, she was sort of fading from as like America's sweetheart. She was still on, you know, a big actress, but I feel like she was, she was, this was the thing that sort of was like, oh no, remember, this is what we love about her. Mm -hmm. Like get, take off the corsets, you know, stop with all that stuff with the mm -hmm. highfalutin stuff. This is what we love about Julie Roberts. Mm. And God damn it. I mean, she, she is, uh, when the movie first started, I was like, oh, okay, Julia Roberts, we we know who, but I was like, wow, oh no, you're Julia Roberts because you're goddamn Julia Roberts. Yeah. I mean, it's she's just- She's a star, excellent. there's no doubt. She's, she's a, a star, star and it oozes. And I think that's also a, a big problem too. Um, it oozes. Is that- she does actually, but not to, not to get disgusting, but the problem is she's oozing too much for Dermot McHibble because <laughs> it's so obvious. Like those <laughs> yes. shots of it's her just staring at him. Crying. It's so obvious. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, there's no way that he wouldn't know. Oh my God, she's in love with me. I've got, I got to do something about this. That's why they and cast a simpleton because only a simpleton wouldn't see it. I have a ton of ideas to put on television about uh, people and their love for each other. I guess, but, and it's, you know, and you do, and unfortunately, because she's Julia Roberts, and she's so good, they do have a great chemistry, and it's like, every time they're together, you're just, I thought they'd, at least coming from her, you know, yeah. I was like, wow, how could you not fall in love with her, and so, whatever, oh, so yeah. I like the idea that they... They're trying to like subvert the genre, you know, yeah. and say, okay, what if we do this rom-com, but the, the lead actress is a terrible person. I think that's a, that's great, a great idea, idea, but they, they didn't, it's I don't know idea. if they went far enough they did not. with it. And you're right. I think there needed to be that moment where it, it, it there needs to be a moment where they do have a conversation about it and because you don't understand. I'm watching it thinking, I really do want them to be together. And they, they were, it was care. honest in the sense that they're not together. 
You know, well, yeah. no, I wanted them to be together because Julia Roberts was so magnetic and lovely, even in her despicableness. You know, whenever they were together on screen, I was like, how could you not want to kiss her? There was, she, she was deserves just better everything. than she deserves better than Dillman Duchovny. She deserves better. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He was a nice guy in it. He was he was a good guy in it. I don't no, think he that was had a, anything to do a, with he it. He's an no. asshole in that one scene where he, they're at dinner with poor Cameron Diaz. That yeah. is, oh yes. Oh yeah. You're right. That scene was shocking cock. too. He's a he's yeah. a light switch. He's, he's condescending a light switch. to his fiance. He's yes. overly flirtatious with his friend. If he's going to get married Correct. to this girl, I mean, he's he's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And that's you're right. And this is not no his. That's not the actor. I, I never cared for the actor, but he's also given this impossible job where, it's you know, it's difficult. very, it's very hard because you need to, the two women are so appealing and he needs to be um, enigmatic throughout it in terms of like, yes. well, what's he feeling and who's he going to go for? And you have to be able to see the potential in either. And because if they wanted it to, if they wanted you to really feel like he and Julia Roberts belong together, there's lots of things they could do to make Cameron Diaz weaker. Like, oh, she's just the stuck up rich girl. She's She doesn't play into any of that. The script doesn't play yeah. into that with her character and she doesn't play into it. It's built to have that. Ten That's what's interesting about the movie is that it is built to have a tension where you can't really fully root against Cameron Diaz. It's very much like <laughs> in a fucking weird way. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like. Superman Returns, the Brandon Ralph Superman Returns, where oh, for fuck's sake! No, where he comes back uh, and it's and he's in love with Lois Lane. He's been gone for years, and she's with James Marston, who normally a movie would set up a, to be he's like not a jerk. He's yeah. a dick who's like, hey, Lois, right. and grab her and be like, hey, what's up, Clark? Right. And you'd be like, oh, when's Superman gonna get Lois back from right. this guy who doesn't deserve her? He's so nice. So likable, such a good partner, such a good pseudo father to her mm -hmm. kid, all this stuff where you're like, do we want Superman to get together with Lois Lane at the end of this movie? No, really. Mm -hmm. And then they don't. And it's a not satisfying movie <laughs> for that, for that and many other reasons. But it's a similar kind of thing where the, the Hollywood's conventional wisdom would have you inch the other, the, 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 the third point in that triangle into mm -hmm less likable territory and it doesn't do it because I'm glad it's they not do that. because it's not going to go there but they only do it because they're not like you can predict now i can look at it and i can see cameron diaz is too nice this movie's never going to end with him ending up with julia roberts because Correct. there's a way to build a movie to get to that point and they're not building it that way Correct. so as interesting as it is as much as they're playing with the conventions they're also showing their hand by giving Cameron Diaz any depth at all. Like I just kind go. of knew from the beginning, they're never going to get together. So it winds up being an impossible task. Yeah. Movie. The whole thing it's is a kind of an exercise in futility, but it's an interesting exactly. character. It's an interesting That's portrait it. of Julia Roberts as a, a, a person who we like because she's so magnetic and we love Julia Roberts doing a lot of unlike, like going into the darker recesses of her, of, of, of yeah. herself and her soul that in terms of like, trying to find love, the movie. you know, or figuring out. But if then she you does have to show that more. That's the problem. It, mm. Everyone. And, mm -hmm. and apparently there was a different ending to this movie where she does end up with a guy where apparently they filmed right. it where she's at the wedding. And then John Corbett plays a character who's like, Oh, I saw you sitting alone and you want to dance. And mm -hmm. she's like, sure. 
and you sort of it, it ended with this idea that maybe oh maybe she would end up with someone and test audiences hated it they're like mm. she's terrible she shouldn't mm. and mm. really in in, in and i i feel like great if they made this movie today it would have been first of all it would have been someone a bit messier than julia roberts i mean she had tons of prep i was watching with kate and kate was like jesus wow there's a lot of prep falls in this movie you know and they, they mm. make like i think at one point they make a, a joke about her being clumsy but it's yeah. you know so they try to do that but i feel like if they did it today it would be with someone a lot someone much messier than julia roberts you know yeah, and amy as Schumer the mo- would be great yeah, Amy she'd be very good. Schumer. And as it goes on, it just gets messier and messier and messier and yes. just like it's getting darker and darker and darker. They never go, even with that email, they never go fully super dark with it. And, and Dillard, Mer- D- you know, uh, Demercatroid <laughs> is, he's, he's, uh, now I can't even, because of you, Dan, I can't even remember what his actual name is. He, his name too, is Dalvin McDaming. He's too forgiving, you know, at the end. Um, and yeah. even even if he was this nice guy that was like, I feel really bad. Like, I know, I, I've always known that you felt this way about me. And I just, I just want to be friends with you. Like, I know this won't work. I don't want to ruin that. Like, they could have, they should have had more of a conversation about that. Because you're right. It did seem like he was totally into her the whole time. And it, it is an impossible job to do that mm-hmm. when you're going between Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz. But uh, that that was a fault to the movie. But by the end, she shouldn't have been invited to that wedding. She should not have been allowed to make a speech. <laughs> yeah. You know, there should have been that that actual comeuppance of, of like... You know, I'm, I love you. You're my best friend, but you, you really fuck things up. You got to stay home. You got to sit, you got to sit this one out. And then you know what? Do a cut, jump ahead a couple of years where like they see, no, seriously, we're like, they run into each other and he's doing great with Cameron Diaz and she's like doing okay or something, but she's with Richard Gere and or Hugh Grant. (laughs) Well, the problem is they tried to make this, they, like I said, they tried to subvert the genre and make like a rom-com, but like a real truthful one. Like when things, it doesn't, always work out but they mm-hmm. didn't go all the way and you want to see it where there's nothing well zero. that's the thing you want to if you're going to do that then be really truthful about it and be really messy and be show the actual complications of it or maybe they oh you couldn't do it i was gonna say maybe they just all end up alone because they're all horrible people Aww. because dylan mcdermott was you know, flirting so much with Julia Roberts and then show them getting together and it not working and them divorcing and then everyone's just miserable and alone. Yeah. It's uh, whatever. It was very good. He's great. He kind of makes the movie. And I think that ending is really, that ending does really work when they're on the phone and then he's there and his, her friend is there to like kind of pick up the pieces with her and they dance and stuff. But it just shouldn't be at the wedding. That's the thing. Has God heard your little prayer? Will Cinderella dance again? And then, suddenly, the crowds part. And there he is. Sleek, stylish, radiant with charisma. These these rom-coms, like many sitcom kind of thing, they are frustrating, their plot machinations are frustrating, and that's part of the genre and whatever. But um, but yeah, I just kind of had high, I thought, oh, well, this is the, I'm going to like this one. I'm going to really enjoy this. And 
I think it's going to be clever and have twists. And I thought that the musical numbers were going to be like, oh, this is how you do it right. And no, <laughs> I mean, this, this, no. It, it's, cr- it's cringe. It's cringe to watch a bunch work. of people like start to sing a sixties a pop tune, you know, at, at the I, dinner table. It's like, the oh, director knows also every said, single word to that song. Yeah, no one just, so yeah, I never knows every single silly. word to that song. But Maybe director- Emmett Walsh does, but the rest, I didn't buy it. <laughs> Before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you. (laughs) While combing my hair now, while wondering what dress to wear now, I say a little prayer for you. Forever and ever, you know you're my heart. I will say when it first started with that opening, the credit sequence, I was sort of tickled by it. Me too. I, I, I was, I I was like, oh, was this great. is so interesting to sing in, uh, you know, wishing and hoping. Mm-hmm. And it's like this idealization yep. of, oh, this is what girls want. And I thought that would have been really sort of fun if, and maybe that's what they were trying to do. If that throughout, it was almost each section was sort of bookended by like this beautiful, like romantic song about this is what romance should be. But then, but, but then again, you have to go it. back to the messiness of what it actually is. Those girls you know? should have kept coming back and we, could yes. have, we should like have seen them as a Greek chorus and have them. Yes. Pop, and maybe that was a conceited early up because you never see those women again. They do the great opening no. number and then they're gone. And it's just, it'd be nice if they kept coming back and then it would be nice if they kind of broke through into the action. It makes me think of another Cameron Diaz movie from the following year. There's something about Mary where there's like yeah. the song at the beginning and then those two musicians keep like showing they up in scenes up. and like yeah. singing interstitial little bits to carry the plot forward. I, that would have been a fun conceit, but the movie doesn't play like it doesn't play as whimsically as that. It doesn't play like a, a fable, you know, that would have those types of little interludes, but it could have and uh, it would have been an interesting way to go. They've had enough of that His friends would say Stop pining There's other girls to look at They've tried to set him up With Tiffany and Indigo But there's something about Mary That they don't know Mary There's just something about Mary I give one Sheila for M. Emmett Walsh one Sheila for that opening number and one Sheila for the lovely shots of the city of Chicago. That's it. <laughs> Three. Uh, I'll give it a five. Dude. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought, I mean, Julia Roberts is, she's got charm to spare. You know, I, I didn't think it was an awful movie, but you know, it's right in the middle. I'm going to go six. I'm going to give it, but, a, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to nudge it over there because they're, because the, the performances are, very strong. Three of the performances are very strong. And, yeah. uh, and you know, and it is, it's doing something different with it. I get why it, why it clicked for people. I it does something different and, and it's, but it's not, I thought it was going to be like a 7.5 or an eight. I was sure. And I, it just isn't, it just isn't, but it was okay. It's okay. I mean, has its moments, maybe six is high, but that's why I'm going to go with that. I think it's just over the line. 
recommendable for for Julia Roberts, if for nothing else. So it says a lot that I preferred Hanky Panky. That's all I'll say. Greatly preferred. That certainly does. I would absolutely rather watch this than Hanky Panky. What? Absolutely. Here comes the mail. Mail sacks. There is something in the mail sack. Yes, yes. For the first time in a little while here. Let me just uh, let me just go ahead and open it up. I love the sound of a of a male sack flapping. So does Jill Schumacher, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Why would this be in the sack, you guys? This is this is this is again something that Jill Schumacher (laughs) often asks. Oh God! And George Clooney had no answer for, but go ahead. It's an it's an AF catalog and af it's a it's clearly an abercrombie and fitch oh. catalog it, I, <laughs> I i guess you shop there so much that you're like it's an af i was like af exactly what is it a union no i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of af but oh wait a minute wait wait i'm looking a little more closely at this now it's an as catalog oh no the arthropod squad <gasps> oh, has wow. merch Oh, they have merch. merch now. Can oh you believe God. this? They've been off the radar for so long. I guess they've been monetizing their, <laughs> they, their fiendish uh, <laughs> <laughs> exploits. <laughs> they've been like, maybe they were inspired by our constant threats of the paywall. Yeah. They want to get in on and, it. And now they're merchandising. Let's look at this. Let's turn to the first page here. Oh my God. Walk around the Italian way. Painfully, inefficiently, and off balance. Your feet, your feet will stay. What's the matter, you, when you strap yourself into Geppetto's stilettos? Why would why would Italian neorealist filmmaker and and houseboy Jack Nicholson Geppetto choose to sell stilettos? I don't know. As his first and why would they? Why would this? Uh, why would this catalog start with the most obscure of all of the Arthropod Squad members? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's really my question. Why would it start with Geppetto of all people, major stars in the Arthropod Squad? You a household oh, name. Sometimes you save the best for last. It'll, yeah, you know, I guess that's it. I don't know that it'll get any better. Let's let's turn the page and see. Let's see. Oh, oh boy. Just like everyone's favorite star of cruising, your favorite new caffeinated <laughs> beverage is steamy and creamy. <laughs> Enjoy it hot like a musket blast from Revolution, or cold like the repressed em- <laughs> or cold like the repressed emotions of Danny Collins. I've never seen that movie. I don't know if he has re- repressed Danny emotions. Collins. Your your taste buds will say who are when you try. Cappuccino. Oh, now come on. That's, uh, how can that even didn't be Didn't see sold? that one coming. How could... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one was hard to suss out. Uh, they went a little, a little round the bend on that one. Like just like just like Joel Schumacher right did. <laughs> was... I like the hot musket blast in your face or whatever you said. <laughs> so does Joel Schumacher. Creamy. Steamy and creamy. Steamy <laughs> Oh God. God almighty. Uh, wow. How that's are a good they selling cappuccino via a, a catalog? That's what yeah. I wouldn't Maybe you a want it. Cappuccino machine, right? You can so oh, that can oh I see. Maybe that's what they're same, selling same. here. I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> 
please, someone help me. <laughs> I mean, someone help the other brothers. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's 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 flip the page on that one. I don't know how much interest there is in cappuccino. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! No matter the occasion, the perfect gift is a framed picture of a Hollywood legend. <laughs> Get a Kodak of Krippendorf, a litho of Lansky. <laughs> how about? Max Bickford on a mug, a pic of Parador, or another snapshot of another stakeout. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's pictured Dreyfus. Oh, no. Pictured Dreyfus. <laughs> that was the best I could do. That was to rhyme with Richard. That was pretty good. A litho of Lansky? Come on. <laughs> Order now and get 5% off an always bumper sticker. Now, who would want, why would anyone, and only 5%, why would that be? 5% off of a 1989 bumper sticker. <laughs> why would that be? From Steven Spielberg's least successful film. I have a ton of ideas. Let me just see something here. Okay, Crack Nicholson. I'm not even going there. Oh. I'm not even going to read the rest of the page. Let me just turn to the back here. Oh, order $50 or more from this catalog and get a free tote bag. I knew it! I was waiting. Thank you. I was waiting. That's the only reason I did this, because I've been obsessed for three weeks with the idea of a tote bag. Which we should actually merchandise that. We really should, but it just keeps coming apart. It keeps falling. Like it just <laughs> puts stuff in, it just drips out. It's really porous. You know? It's not very good in the heat. You can't use it in the heat. It'll melt. No. That's amazing. Yeah, you make it with you make it with like two layers of and then you have like sand and liquid and, and just kind of like constantly moves around. There's like a drawing of his face and then like just all yes. the flesh and blood <laughs> just kind of keep sloshing around just in the plastic. Sloshing. <laughs> That's all it's I want. Really that, fantastic. I've been I'm sorry. Obsessed with the idea. Why did no one market that? Uh, that, that I've been obsessed with the idea of a tote bag. For because weeks. no one wants to walk around with a tote bag of a Nazi. That's why. <laughs> you know, you go to the Strand bookstore. You, get, you know, women get it done. But you know, you're not gonna have a, 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 a Nazi on the side of your tote bag. Oh God. But I'm glad tote they're merchandising. Bag. Good for them. Oh my good God. for them. Tote yeah. Bag. I hope that. It's so good. I, I hope it doesn't. Uh, I hope they're not stopped cold oh. in their attempt oh. to sell some good merch. <laughs> oh. I hope they don't get freezed out of the competition. Oh. oh, I don't know what you're referring to. Oh, wait. <laughs> Sweet Jesu in the manger. Mm. It's Batman and Robin? Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. <laughs> George Clooney. I'm not the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild night. Good night. Wild doesn't, doesn't quite cover it. Chris O'Donnell. Come join me. My garden needs tending. Oh, she loves me, not folks. you, and it's driving me crazy. This is why Superman works alone. Uma Thurman. So many people to kill. So little time. Alicia Silverstone. And you are? Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about that person? Found the what Batcave. What the fuck are you, you know talking about? I guess we just have to kill her. Oh, what does that got to do with anything? Uh -huh.
The fourth Batman film sees the caped crusader, now played by George Clooney, and his partner Robin, once again played by Chris O'Donnell, attempt to foil the sinister schemes of a deranged new pair of villains, the melancholy Mr. Freeze, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who wants to turn Gotham City into an arctic wasteland, and the sultry Poison Ivy, played by Uma Thurman, a plant-loving femme fatale. As the dynamic duo contends with these bad guys, a third hero, Batgirl, played by Alicia Silverstone, joins the ranks of the city's crime fighters. <sighs> Director Joel Schumacher received an edict from Warner Brothers to make Batman and Robin more toyetic. That's a word I'd never heard of before, mm -hmm. but toyetic mm -hmm. than previous installments, and so followed up his highly successful Batman Forever with this travesty, which has often been cited as the worst superhero movie ever made and regularly appears on lists of the worst films of all time. A fifth film featuring the Scarecrow, Harley Quinn, and the ghost of Jack Nicholson's Joker was in development until the dismal box office led Warners to keep Batman on ice and out of theaters <laughs> until 2005's Batman Begins. Batman and Robin ruled the opening weekend box office with $42.9 million, but went on to earn a franchise low of $107.4 million domestically and $238.2 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, oh, what do you guys think of Batman and Robin? Did anyone read the script? That's all I'm saying. Did anyone read According the to John Del Vecchio, our friend from Hofstra, <laughs> yeah. Val Kilmer read it because a year before or a year and a half before Batman and Robin came out, I knew nothing about what was coming with Batman and Robin. John Del Vecchio says to me, we're hanging out at his house in Queens. He's like, I've heard this thing's such a piece of shit. I know somebody who knows somebody who knows Val Kilmer who says he read it. And on the third page, ice skates come out of their boots. And he said, I'm out. And because it goes back and forth. The story goes that and Joel Schumacher even says this. He says it was a little bit that we fired him and it's a little bit that he quit, you know, because nobody quit. quite. Yeah. Is like, which is it? Chicken or the egg? Val Kilmer and Joel Schumacher hated each other, but why is he not in this? Is it whose <laughs> choice was it really? Who knows? But according to Del Vecchio, sometime in 96, he had heard through, through the grapevine. Cause I had, that was the first time I'd heard anything about ice skates in the movie and it did end up in the <sighs> movie. So I think oh, it's a yeah. legit story, sure you know, I think it's yeah. a legit story that he's like, fuck they, this. Not, not only, not, I mean, they click their heels. <laughs> And ice skates, blades come out of the What boots. else would you expect of a friend of Dorothy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do want to point out, and I don't know if Dan, I don't know if you were involved in this, but I do want to point out that several years before this, I'm pretty sure you were there, Jason. We all auditioned for the role of Robin. Uh, you did. did I you did go not with us do that? that. I didn't go with you. Oh, for you that. didn't do that? No. What? They held a huge open call that was, and at that time we were all going to, remember we went to the one yeah. for on the road yeah. and like, there were all these open calls that we were going to. There was an open call for Robin and a bunch of us <laughs> all got up at the crack of ass and waited <laughs> online and like went into the city and it was, I mean, it was absurd. I remember your ridiculous. story though. What was my story? That you Didn't went you in, walk out you walked like, out I got like, it. Oh, Robin, I got it. Oh, <laughs> and everybody looks at you like, fuck you. You asshole. Yeah. I oh, that. God, that's right. That's I what I remember. Like, about hey, everybody, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that, is, that, is, that is pure Fred Berman. 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is fantastic. I didn't see this movie when it came out because it looked like a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, there's no way I'm going to see this. Like a Schwarzenegger, this looks fucking <laughs> stupid. I mean, you. I mean, in your, in your intro, you're absolutely right. It, even I mean, the whole movie is just, it's a toy commercial. Yeah. It's I mean, you were talking about Dan. You, you guys were talking about Moulin Rouge seeming like a, a, a you know a food commercial for like slapping to a slim jim. This was like a, this wasn't even a toy commercial. This was like a free toy that you get a Taco Bell <laughs> right. commercial. Yes, that's yep. what it looked like. Shitty plastic. Uh, yep. And Ooh. so you know, I I remember I seem to remember enjoying Batman Forever. You know, more than I thought I would. I seem to it remember. It looks like liking, Citizen Kane next to this, and, it, and to it's this. a bad Jesus. movie, but it's much uh, better than uh, this. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, the writing was on the wall with Batman Forever. That okay, they're going in a different direction here, uh, and then it just seemed silly i wasn't i ended up actually becoming a big fan of er but at the time i was like mm. eh, Clooney, who like it just i didn't care yeah. i wasn't gonna go to see it so this was the first time that <gasps> i ever seen it really yeah oh, wow. i don't even i'd really? seen really oh my god never never seen it oh my god oh, that's wow. like how long it was no it's it endless i've seen it, it was- before obviously and i was like last night i'm watching i was like Jesus Christ, that part, the, the motorcycle, the nonsensical, uh, unnecessary motorcycle thing with Batgirl and Robin, yeah. uh, it, you know, with all the day glow. I'm like, Jesus Christ, when is this over? And I, cl- I hit pause. It was literally the midpoint. The middle of it. It was yeah. one hour in I and there was the still thing. another hour left. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's not an hour yeah. left of anything to tell here. It's so <laughs> I, long. Uh, couldn't believe how, yeah, it was because it should have just been. <sighs> A commercial. That's what it was. And then, I mean, when they... So, okay, let me say this. For the first 30 minutes or so, maybe four... No, I'm going to say 30. I was laughing like a fucking lunatic. Oh, my (laughs) God. I could not stop laughing because it was ridiculous. (laughs) It was in... I just couldn't... I couldn't believe what they were doing like yeah. i mean it op- the, the, the movie opened with nipples crotch ass i mean yes. it's just sort of right off the bat it's like this is what we're doing this is what we're doing and you know like i mean mm-hmm. it's in there it's in their crotches oh, it's yeah. in oh, and yeah. those i mean you hear about the, the bat nipples and that was like the big thing about it but wow it's not just the nipples was, it's everything the nipples were in batman forever but people always seem to think it was this one because this one, because people liked the last one. It focuses on them. It does focus yeah. on them more. And you've got two guys walking around with nipples. You know what I mean? And right. so it's, yeah, it's, they're shown more explicitly in this one, but they were there before, but people didn't care so much then. And this is the one where everybody's like, Batman and Robin brought nipples. And it's like, no, they were there. It, the movie just got so much <laughs> worse that you're focusing <sighs> and more and more homoerotic that you're focusing on. Very it. homoerotic. Yeah. They were yeah. there. It was, it was they were more pronounced. Yes. But it just it was <laughs> so. Billy Crystal might say. And nipples are hard. My <laughs> um, nipples are hard. My nipples are hard. My nipples are hard. Mr. Saturday Night. Now on Broadway. <laughs> it was full on camp. Until it just got full on bad and then it lost its charm about 20 to 30 minutes in. I mean, it lost. Look, it wasn't good to begin with. It's literally Batman. I mean, it's Batman on ice, but it's Batman on ice. And that's the whole thing. The whole thing felt like an amusement park or an ice capade show. Even like the fights, how they were fighting. It was like a Six Flags stunt show. That's what it looked like. 
so fucking absolutely yes. even with like his ice mobile how everything nothing really went fast it was all very slow it looked like they were doing it because you know we've got to be safe kids you know and after this go you know go ride the cyclone afterwards or something yes. it was I just don't. And then the times, so I'm trying to give it credit. I'm thinking, well, they're trying to make like a modern day Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. It was sort of, you know, it had that feel. They throw in this goddamn, again, a, a good a good idea about the whole thing with Batman. You know, why do I do this? Because I'm trying to fight back death. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was, you know, they, they throw in this, these deep themes that mean nothing because of the rest of the fucking crazy candy colored cornucopia that surrounds it. So why even do that? Why even put the relationship with Alfred there, which I didn't buy at all because George Clooney is a wonderful actor, but it just, he doesn't work in this. And he's emba- the, and, he looks and, embarrassed by it. He looks he like looks he's just trying to keep he his head down and get through it. Oh my God. He's a yes. smart man, you know, and he's, yeah. <laughs> but he can't keep his head down. His head keeps bobbing. He's got that, he's got that Clooney bobble head thing in this. I know, I know. I mean, it's really all over the place. You're like, how is this guy a film actor? Know. You know, they, they always tell us, so like, if you're doing TV and film, you got to be still. <laughs> how did this guy have a career? His head's all over the place. I know, I know. Because he's so uncomfortable. Because didn't you apologize to the crowd at Comic Con for Batman and Robin? I always apologize for Batman. <laughs> Let me just say that uh, I actually thought I destroyed the franchise until they brought it back. You know, they, somebody else brought it back years later and changed it. But, you know, I thought at the time this was going to be a very good career move. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> He's spoken very publicly about this, that yeah. basically he didn't know if he should do it as an accountant was like, if you do this movie, you will literally never have to work a day for the rest right. of your life. So you should absolutely do it and then move on. And obviously and he's come out the check. other end. You know, you'll be, you'll, all of a sudden you'll be like this. You're going from being a TV star to being the star of the ostensibly biggest movie of the year at that time, you know, before right. they, so it was like. It just, yeah, just from a practical consideration, it was a deal with the devil. It's like, how do you say no to yep. this? I, I, maybe it'll be better than I think, or maybe it'll be. And especially Ooh. people seem to like Batman. For They were like, mm, it's it's not good, but it's fun and colorful. And, you know, it was successful. It didn't didn't have the reputation this one has. So, you know, 2020 hindsight a little bit, too. You know, I, I'm sure he didn't think it was going to be. If he knew how bad it was going to be, he might have mm-hmm. been given pause. But then he probably still would have done it because it was like it was a career no matter how bad it is it got him to the place where then he was making movies and he was a hollywood player and he could pick script you know people would be like well yeah george clooney is a big star people know him around the world now because he was batman yeah and he can get offered things that he wouldn't have had access to before so it wound up being very good for him and he's gotten a lot of mileage out of going on talk shows and making fun of it and apologizing for it too. Uh, there was a director named Joel Schumacher, who's a very funny man, very tall, very sort of eccentric, and he would direct with a speaker and a, uh, with a microphone and a speaker. Usually directors will come up and say, hey, he'll be like, okay, and you'd hear this, you know, giant <laughs> booming voice. And I bolted into this suit, I can't move. And he would literally go, and he would direct you like as if you would have some emotional scene. He would go, Okay, people, all right, uh, uh, George, you know, your parents are dead. You have nothing to live for. Pretty much every other line in this movie is a pun. <laughs> I mean, every. Long. You yes. think, I thought it was just going to be Schwarzenegger. I was like, oh, well, I've heard that he's got all like the, no, the cold it. puns. 
It's every yeah. line, every <laughs> character. Does it's it. a, so, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. His first line, every all of their lines are puns. So that's what I'm saying. When they read the script, didn't they think, "What? Wait a minute, what's going on?" Unless they thought, "Okay, they're do we're doing this is intentional, and it's obviously we're trying to make it like the '60s Batman." But if you're gonna, yes. so like that was weird. funny. They go pretty far with it. But then go really far. Like I kept thinking, like, what if, you know, they should have had it be like, you know, Mr. Mitzelplix or some some character from the DC universe who literally, yeah, it, it twists, makes it an alternate reality <laughs> where suddenly, you know, they're back in like weird '60s Batman or something. It was just that's a good idea. That's what the Scarecrow could have done, right? You know, there's like some sort of toxic. You, know, you could play with that idea if Joel Schumacher wants to play in that sandbox, but he just thinks. It's a cartoon. That's what John Glover, who is the only person I think who comes out unscathed because he like he's a theater guy and he he's just a smart actor. And he's like, this is what this is. It's a cartoon. Joel Schumacher keeps screaming through a bullhorn. Remember, we're making a cartoon, apparently, before takes. Yeah. And he does it. And he's in a he has a very small part in the movie. But I found him enjoyable. I would never going back to the Nicholson Keaton gothic dark cool fucking awesome Batman from how many years before eight years before to think that we'd be in a place like this you know where you're saying that fucking John Glover hamming it up with a fright wig is like probably the best performance in the movie it'd be like it's not even in the same universe how is that how is that possible but they but are he, i mean i'm i'm thinking now even like how chris because i'm going like what are you doing chris o'donnell but oh. he is he's playing it sort of like you know that saturday morning cartoon superhero yeah. come on batman chill out you know like they're all he's noticeably worse just, from the last one to this one he was pretty good in oh, Batman yeah. forever and in this one right out of the gate i want a car what the fuck are you talking about chicks dig the car it's like, what are you even Ooh. saying? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, ay, ay, ay. Yeah, where are we? Yeah, yeah where, where, what planet are we on in this? Although I will, you know, it, it, it's got to be hard to deliver a line like, I hate to disappoint you, but my rubber lips are immune to your charms. <laughs> unless oh. you're, you know, Liberace or, you know, Rip Taylor or somebody. Like, how do you even... How do you see that in a script and go, oh, yeah, I can deliver that. Oh, it's true. I mean, it's very, very got to be very, very difficult to be to be any of them in this moment. Um, Let's focus on the positives. Let's focus on the positives. While this movie is on, you can dust. You can vacuum. (laughs) You can do your taxes. You don't need to actually watch it. You can look away for long stretches come back and go, oh yeah, I'm still, we're still here. I haven't missed anything because there's no plot. There's nothing that you absolutely must see or hear in order to get you to the next scene. Nothing. This movie is, stands alone in that way, I think. (laughs) It's just stuff. It's just a bunch of stuff. And whether you walk away for 15 minutes, whether you fall asleep for 45, whether you go do yard work for an hour and a half, you're going to come back and go, oh, yeah, okay, I'm with it. I'm still there. I'm still I'm still in it. He still you wants know, to freeze I, things. Yeah, they he still, still have nipples. Things. They still, still have nipples. They, the they still nipples have are still intact. And we're still I can still get all these cool cars with my Mexi-Melt Hot Meal Taco Bell. Right. Right. That's it. You're still in the same spot no matter where you come into this um there's one good scene in it and to me it's only one it's the reveal of poison ivy at the party when she takes oh! off the 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 gorilla suit 
I love that. that. I actually think that's really I ridiculous. I actually think it's great. But it's entertaining. It, was, it is. It's entertaining. I, I, I agree with you, Dan. I was like, this is not. I love it. I agree with both of you because I'm like, this is maybe the worst <laughs> thing. It, 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 it's simultaneously. It's like a mirror yeah. cracked. And it's both the worst exactly. scene in the movie and the That's best it. scene in the movie. Yeah. And she's super committed. And it's like, okay, I, you know, she's taking off a purple uh, gorilla suit. But at <laughs> least. Jesus Christ. At least. She's, she's, she's you know, we. We, we understand the world in that moment we're in that's the world and they and they never really do that you know before or since so I kind of like that scene not because it's titillation or anything right. like that but just because it's like I understand the world that we're in in that moment and I don't in any other that moment that looked and felt like the TV series It's, it's real bad, obviously, but, it, and everybody, and we all talk about Schwarzenegger and I constantly talk about Schwarzenegger and I have a whole thing in my show about it. And I opened the, the episode giant diamond, with it. The giant diamond. The giant diamond. The giant diamond. One more vagina <laughs> diamond. The thing I said, and I, and I, I always think, I'm like, I haven't seen it in a long time. So I have a part oh in my show where I, where I, oh, the where I replicate, gem. yeah, the, 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 the scene I'm where he's in that boom. rocket. And I'm like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, like I watched it and I was like, my, my performance is not an exaggeration of what he does at all. It is incomprehensible. It, it, it is, <laughs> you cannot understand him. And they gave him too many big words. And it's like what I said in the <laughs> opening. Like, I'm sure he was like, let's just have me say, be cool, man. That's better than saying harbinger of anything. I can't speak. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. What's the numbers, Batman? For they're the harbingers of your doom. Can you feel it coming? The icy cold of space. Ah! At 30,000 feet, your heart will freeze and beat no more. He's a big clumsy ox to begin with, and then they put him in this giant metal suit, and then he's supposed to be a scientist. You see him in scenes like moving dials and stuff, and it's like, dude, it's like, it's like, it's like Lenny from Mice and Men is like, is a scientist. Like, just like, you know. Uh, uh, uh. Let me just turn the knob. Don't turn it up that fast. What do you know? Are you looking at numbers? Are you doing anything? I don't know. This is the one to fix people. It's bad. But, <laughs> but Uma Thurman got good reviews at the time from a lot of people. Right. Yeah, and right. I'm like, no. I can see that. I can't. I, no, I, I don't. I think, I think she's terrible I think they're it. just saying in the landscape to trying to find anything. Show, they're like, yeah. well, she's got a take. She's doing Mae West or whatever. What are you, about a 50 big and tall? No, I always grow a size smaller. Makes me look slimmer. Hmm. Oh. oh, I'm running on empty. I need the diamonds from my hideout. I'll help you grab your rocks. You know what? It's time. It is time for a funny Batman again. I will go on the record saying this. I do not like 
the new Robert Pattinson Batman. It's very well made, whatever. It's three hours long. It's a slog. It's like ever since the Dark Knight. <laughs> no, ever since the Dark Knight, they're like, oh, this is what people like. Dark, tortured Batman. And the Ben Affleck one amps it up more to the point I think of parody. And the Robert Pattinson one goes even farther. And it's well made and it's beautifully shot and there's good actors in it. But I'm like, enough already. It does start to get to the Lego Batman movie thing of like, you know, let's yeah. let's have some jokes about, you know, the fact that you're so hung up on the parents being killed when you were five years old. I mean, it's, it's, it's time for a comic Batman. It's time for a, a, a Judd Apatow Batman movie or something funny. Not this shit, a funny movie, (laughs) a well-written movie. You can do that in two different ways. And this is to go back because there was a, you know, my, Batman has always been Daredevil, which is sort of a lot of people say is like, you know, sort of the the Marvel version of Mm -hmm. Batman. They're similar in many respects and they're different. But there was a run and and our friend Steve Hogan and I, we discuss this all the time and we don't really agree. There was Daredevil's always tortured and it it, it got so dark in the comics. And then this writer, Mark Wade, who's also a big DC writer as well, he took it over and he flipped it. And it it was very, uh, a Mm. lot of people, some people love it. Some people aren't as crazy about it because it, it becomes much lighter in tone and it harkens back to the more like the Silver Age era of Marvel. But the thing is, what the character does is the character gets to a point where he, he literally says, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I need to, as a, as a human being, I've got to move forward and try to get out of this darkness. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fucking, I'm going to live this up. I'm going to, so like that's a way that you could do it where it's yeah. like of a Bruce Wayne going, you know what? This is this is bringing me and everyone down. So I'm gonna, I'm I'm a, I'm a billionaire. I'm a playboy. Like let's play this up, and that's how you can get to that campy version. Like shit, I'm gonna do. Why don't we do a Batusi? Why not? Why don't we throw that in? You could have, you know, you could do it that way. Because the problem is the jump. Another issue that I had was going from everything that came before, you know, everyone like Alfred and Robin, you know, all these, all these things that are, that were built up from the previous movies, from the Burton movies. And, but also even from the last Joel Schumacher movie, none of them added up anymore, mostly because it's a new Batman. So that's a little different, but it just seemed like such a different shift. So at least, at least do something in the beginning where, where. You make the choice where Bruce Wayne and Batman is making a choice to be different or you just go full on or something happens. Uh, again, I don't know if it's like an outside force. One of the bad guys is something like really just say, OK, you know what? We're just going to do full kit. We're going to do it like the old 60s. And there's, we're going to have like green screens. They're going to be running in front of projected screens. Like just go full out that way. I'm going to force mm-hmm. you to lighten up, Batman. I'm going to force you yeah. <laughs> through some sort of mirage or something. Yeah, it's a good. Maybe. A, yeah. You know, it's funny. There's a line. Alfred has a line. I never noticed it before, but he has a line towards the end when George Clooney starts figuring out, oh, he is, you know, uh, he's dying or he's sick. And he Mm. says, a gentleman never speaks of his ailments. I hope I taught you that much. And I'm like, ding, of course you did. Uh, Uh, Yeah, you taught it to him so well that he lives his life dressing up as a bat instead of seeing a psychiatrist, which would have been the thing to do from a very (laughs) early age. But we don't talk about our ailments, so we bottle them up to the point that it's like, (laughs) this expression is like this. I mean, you know, there's something funny about this movie, too, is I'm watching it and I was like, wow. In all the movies we've watched, I have never 
watched a movie and thought, this is like something out of so-and-so's class at Hofstra. I did that three times in this movie. I watched uh, saying that this is like, it's not even non-professional. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's like you're training to maybe get a non-union job somewhere. <laughs> it was like the act. There's a moment where Uma Thurman picks up a beaker to smash it and she brings it down yes, and stops yes. in midair and looks at the Wayne Enterprises logo. But she does it in a way that a chi- like if you told a child, go to smash it, but like notice something on the side of it. Like nobody would ever be able to see it. And I was like, that's like a bad young actor in an acting class. I was like, that's like the worst mm. actor we knew at Hofstra in Phyllis's class breaking something and noticing something about the thing she's breaking. I was like, that was number one. That would one. be me, by the that way. Was, that's fine. I didn't want to call anybody out. <laughs> then then there's another scene where I was like, it. Richard Harmon hasn't seen so many gobos. And is like, I was like, it looks like it's lit by a, 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 a student, like a, a, an overeager lighting design student at Hofstra. And then the last thing is when Jesse Ventura at, like falls down yes. in the jail cell, the makeup, I mean, this is a this is a hundred million dollar movie. The makeup to suggest is Ben Nye green and brown paint, like the same kind of paint I used on my face to be the ghost of Hamlet's father is what they're painting on the sides of the mouth to show that they've been poisoned. I was yeah. like, that is just is it Ben Nye? Is that what we used to get? The fucking Steins. kids? Steins. Steins. It is Steins. Steins make, grease it's grease paint painted yeah. on them to suggest <laughs> that they've been toxified. I was like, that's from Deirdre Maguire's class. I was like, every element yes. in Batman and Robin is from a class that I did poorly in at Hofstra <laughs> University. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's not, it's not even filmed well. No. It's, I mean, oh my God, can we do, I just, sh- they surfed yeah, through I space. Know. They surfed through space. What do you want from this movie? I mean, look, the, the, <laughs> oh, you know something? Yeah, it's true. What do you the, expect? The screenplay is by Akiva Goldsman, who I love. Should never work because, again. Because, no, we're talking about work again. All over all of the new Star Trek series. I know. I was disappointed when I saw and that. And Picard, one of the creators of Picard, which I love the first season of Picard, and I'm into the second season, and the new one, Strange New World. So I, I'm, I'm. And didn't I'm, he win an Oscar a for A Beautiful Mind? He wrote A Beautiful yes, Mind. For a Beautiful Mind. I mean, uh, it's such a huge disconnect for me of going, how does that come out of this person's pen? Because with Star Trek, you have to be intricate. You have to be knowledgeable. You got to be smart to write for that show of all shows. It is you have to have so much skill. And then for this to just jot down a bunch of puns. I mean, he must have been cashing a paycheck, too, like everybody else on this. thing. I think it's also the edict, like make toys and and make it a cartoon. Like if you're if you're saying if, if, if 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 the. If the vision is we're going to make a live action Saturday morning cartoon from the early 80s, that's really shitty. And the lines are like, if that's what you're if that's the aesthetic you're going for, then he's doing it. I don't know why you would ever want to do it, though. I don't know why that would be. Maybe it's fun for small children, I guess. I don't know. Fuck off. Um, What part of an actor prepares that 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 Alicia Silverstone read? (gasps) Did it say, okay, no matter what you're playing, just bite your bottom lip. Are your characters thinking about something? Bite your lip. Are your characters emotionally distressed? Just bite your lip. Okay. If your character's happy, just bite your lip. She just bites her lip. That's her one and only acting choices to go, 
Eh, I'm gonna bite my lip on this one. Joel, what do you think about biting my lip? That's on page 80 of, of building a character, wasn't it? You'll bite my lip. What the fuck? She's so uncomfortable. What else? You know, he was like, I'd prefer you to bite the pillow, but you know, I'll save <laughs> no, that for Clooney. For the love. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she's real. For, for the um, love. Do we want to shield this up? Are we, is there anything more uh, to say? What did I like I better than this? Or, the, or did I like this better than... I think I like this slightly better than than the Julie Roberts thing. Mm. Uh, I'll go four. I'll go four on it because wow, you can you, know, you can walk away and come back. You can do a, it's it's a lovely movie to <laughs> have on in the background with the, without the sound on oh and just God. you know just look at it like a piece of a piece of uh, old timey candy like like a piece of like chuckles like like colorful candy. <laughs> That you never want to put in your mouth. (laughs) That you never actually want to put in your mouth because it'll be sticky and leave residue and not be pleasant. So four. The weird thing is I did, I really like, I laughed my ass off the first 30 (laughs) minutes. I mean, I was constantly, I just couldn't believe it, but it was just more out of shock at how ridiculous it was. So I don't know, I guess a three Mm. because it's, it's really terrible. It's really bad. I mean, Joel Schumacher really fucking drops the ball i don't know how uh because if you want to make a bad can't be batman movie just make a bad can't be batman movie which he does that's the thing he achieved what he wanted to make mm. and it's still terrible so no it's there a two to two but he got the edict yeah. he got the edict to be toyetic yeah. i have heard that word before because it's on that show the toys that made us mm-hmm. you ever watch that show yeah. Yeah. and that came out because of the Kenner, you know, the, the Kenner people of, uh, that, you know, whoever ran Kenner might have been Mr. Kenner at that time, invented that term. And then it's Joey in Kenner the toy industry. <laughs> Joey, Joey Arnold Kenner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. I, I mean, Joel Schumacher also, the poor guy. I mean, he's made what good movies, do? accomplished movies like Akiva Goldsman. Mm-hmm. Like they are capable of sure. it. It's yes. not like this is the base level that he operates at. But. He had the edict. He, you know, he talks a lot. He's apologized many times for the movie and said, I just wanted to entertain people. I, I'm sorry I didn't make it. And he, he tried to do a Batman year one. I think he tried to redeem himself. I think when he was, they were talking to him about a fifth movie, he was like, I want to do a dark, gritty Batman. They're like, you're not the guy for that. You know, like you, maybe you can do it. You know, but because he's done these other mm-hmm. you know, these John Grisham things and the Michael Douglas movie falling down. Maybe he thought I have it in me to do that. And he's done thrillers and things. But they're like, no, if we're going to do that, we're going to get a totally different. It's you know, it's very much like you're the guy who does the can't be gay one for us. And then if we want to get somebody <laughs> to do a serious one, we'll hire somebody else. But he had a lot of regrets about it. And he was like, I just wanted to make something fun. And I was under pressure to like just make a lot of toys in the movie, but that's not a movie. Didn't we watch the, the commentary one time at our old place and we watch it oh, and he maybe. just kept saying things he like, this is all for you. This is all for your enjoyment. Mm-hmm. I did, yes, I did yes. this for you. Yes. It's all right. for you. It's just for you. I know. It, like as if that forgives it. It's like, no. yeah, of course it's for us. We're buying the ticket, you dick. And then we didn't like it. <laughs> Who else is it for? Um, I'm going one. I can't go more than one Sheila on it. It's, it's real bad. That's low for well, you. As a Batman fan, That's it's so wonderful. It's just not, it's nothing. So yeah. I was certain that this was going to be one of those Jason O'Connell's like, I, I liked it. No. Yeah, I oh. thought so too. I thought you were going to go Superman three territory with no. it and give it like a six. No, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm glad no, you've come to no. your senses. I'm, giant diamond, giant diamond. <laughs> well, vagina diamond is all you need. 
Ah, uh, listen, really when Batman's only, last line to the villain is a is a is a is a, is a Glenn Fry song riff. <laughs> what did you he know, say? What was that? That was his last line. I think to freeze. The heat is on. It freeze. The heat is on. Take two and call me in the morning. <laughs> Let's kick some ice. Oh my god! The, the moment oh I wake up before I put on my Stein's makeup, thank you, everyone, so much for joining us for another episode of Opening Weekend. Next time. We are shaking things up and doing another trilogy <gasps> retrospective, much like we did with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies last year. This time we're hopping in the DeLorean and revisiting Robert Zemeckis's Back to the Future trilogy, starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, and in part three, at least, Mary Steenburgen. That's next time on opening weekend. So we'll see you in a couple Yay. of weeks. Dan, what do you got to close this out? Oh God! Do I have to do say a little prayer? Why don't hey, I just do else? the old? Why don't I just do the old Batman theme? That's, that's fine. What this, that's what it wanted to be. want to be. Isn't that funny that the Simpsons did that episode of Radioactive Man? Did the Radioactive Man come out after this? When they're like, when they started oh, by so going, funny. we want to stay away as far away from the campy '60s version as possible. And then they show, you know, with the Scoutmaster. Was that yeah, before? This I don't or know. After? I, it was sometime right in this time frame. You Hilarious. know what I mean? It might have been a year or two before, or just after. But yeah. Billowing backpacks, Radioactive Man. It's the worst villain of them all, the Scoutmaster. I see him, Fallout Boy. Go get him, Scouts! Don't be afraid to use your nails, boys! <laughs> Alright, well, let's do the old, the old Batman theme from the good way to do camp. <laughs> the old, old-timey Batman. <laughs> do my best i will do it's like like so many of the middle parts i wanted to cut out of batman and robin but i <laughs> did not have that capability being a person watching it and not the person editing it the opening weekend podcast is produced by jason o'connell fred berman and dan matisa with editing by jason o'connell and sound mixing by fred berman additional help and technical support provided by ethan duff thank you for listening mm-hmm.